Okay. So what's really exciting about these sessions is I never quite know what's going to happen. Yeah, uh, cool. It's going to be showing up. But um, these conversations are beauty chats. They're an open forum discussion, an opportunity for us to dig into topics in tutoring and get to know each other at the same time. Because as we tell our stories and how, how we do things, we find out a lot about context, a lot about each other, and friendships come out of it, which is so lovely, and a ton of skill and professional development as well, of course. So I will remind you as we get started that the QT house rules are be curious, be generous, and be reflective. And everything that we do is about showing up in that way so that we're supportive of each other, um, we pick up new ideas, we share new insights, and we are always gentle with each other. Um, there are many, many ways of doing things right. And um, what we're doing here is exploring the way we and other people do things. So the topic that I want to explore today, and I'll give you some context for it, the topic is parents. Now, um, historically, I have shied away from the subject of parents. And that's been quite an interesting journey for me. So um, as you know, I do have five kids and a puppy. And um, oh. working in my local primary school was a really enmeshed experience between parents and teachers. Because it was a community school, the parents were teachers, the teachers were parents. We were all very overlapping. And what we found is that we leaned into the, the school gates to create distance and clear roles and boundaries. Um, and then when I started tutoring and, and looking back when my kids were little and I was tutoring, um, I always found the relationship with the parents quite challenging because they got really close and they started telling me about their divorce and they started asking me advice that was way beyond. And sometimes I'd spend as much time chatting to the mom on my driveway as I would working with the child. So I found working with parents a minefield. I found that when you're working with special educational needs, the parent is always part of the story. Um, the, the extent to which they ad advocate for the child, the extent to which they show up with the same needs as the child. You have so many different layers of relationship there that need understanding and unpacking. And then as a mum, when I employ tutors for my own kids, I'm that mum who wants to speak to you for an hour and a half before I give you my child. And then I can disappear and I'm a nightmare right, to get a hold of. I know that, I know that about myself. I see myself doing that. So the relationship between parents and tutors and children is complex and there are lots of different versions of it and then Helen and I were in a session yesterday that um, Risha was running and Risha said just off the cuff like this she said she offers um, parent meet the tutor chats but she's only ever had one person take her up on it and I stopped her and I'm like you mean parents don't want to speak to you first and she said, most care, most students come to her from an online sign up and she never speaks to the parents first. Okay, so Ruthie's nodding, right? This blew my mind because you know how you don't even know what you don't know? It never occurred to me to ask anyone this question of do you speak to the parents first? So I want to know from you 
what your relationship is parent with parents with all the way from sign up to signing off and everything in between. I want to know how you build a relationship, how you manage expectations, how you deal with tricky situations, how they thank you afterwards, at what stage you ask for testimonials, all of those things that build up to the relationship between you and the other adults in the child's life, or how they don't, and what that feels like and looks like. Ruthie, would you mind kicking us off? A um, bit of a mixed bag. Um, I find um, parents of special needs students more inclined to want to, you know, tell you everything about their child, make sure that you're going to be a good fit, want to be on the phone, and then are constantly on the phone, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and keep you in touch with every little detail of their child's lives. Um, I would say about 80% of my parents I've never seen or spoken to on the phone. Wow. They, they come How do you to feel about that? Uh, I quite like it. Stay away. Yeah, they do. They come to me online. They'll ask me a few questions. I'll give them the answers they want. And I always say, happy to have a chat. They don't want it. They just oh. I think a lot of it has come from word of mouth. So I guess other parents have already endorsed me, if you like, and said, oh, and I've seen her session. She does it like this. And my son says... So I guess there's, there's a lot of that goes on in the background so perhaps they don't feel the need. Remind um, us, what age, what key stage do you work with? Um, secondary, key stage three and four. Um, no, they're, most of them, no, they're not bothered. Um, don't speak to them hardly at all unless there's an issue. You know, I'll send them regular communication. Um, don't get a response back most of the time. It's just, yeah, okay, love, you go and do your job. <laughs> I'm paying you, go away now okay love go and do your job that's exactly in, in, what I'm beginning to yeah do. and in a lot of ways from my point of view it's great because when I found before I went online and they were all coming to the house I used to have groups in in this room here I couldn't get rid of them you know I mean dinner would be burning in the oven and everything else and they'd still be there one <gasps> chat yeah. so actually from a work-life balance it's better but I do find it a bit odd sometimes that yeah they they don't want to talk to you I think you've nailed ah. it from a work-life balance it's better but it is a bit odd. That yeah, Claire. What are your thoughts? So pre-COVID, I went out to every single one of my students. So you're knocking on the door, and I would say ninety-nine percent of the time, the parents would answer the door, not the children, and they would be saying goodbye. So you automatically have a relationship with parents when you go out to them. COVID happens and I'm now 100% online and because I was used to that relationship with parents I found it very strange that that dropped off once I went online so over the past three years I have developed Friday morning reports so every single one of my parents gets a report on a Friday morning and it could be as short as they haven't done any homework for me this week and they missed the session, which the parents will know because maybe they're the ones that have cancelled it. Um, and I've found that connection. Some, excuse me. Sometimes I do get a response from that. Often I don't. I have one parent where I send the report and every week without fail, she just says thank you in an email and that's it. Um, I have another parent who... Um, did send one email once 
and she said, I really appreciate the reports you send. So although I might not be getting a response, they are reading them. And I, as I said last week, I do the promotional emails, which go out to basically anyone that's not unsubscribed. Um, and the website shows you how many people, that surprises me because it shows you how many people have opened the messages. It runs at about 50%. And I know myself, you look down your list of messages, you see the who it's from and the title and you delete, delete, delete. Oh, that one's interesting. So it's interesting that about 60%, 50% actually open them. So sometimes you then think, oh, why am I even bothering? <laughs> but yes, it, it staggered me. Now here's interesting as well. I have about four or five students that are from pre-COVID where I used to go out. Every single one of those, their parents either has a short chat to me before or after the lesson. All of the ones that I've signed up that are purely online, I've never spoken to except at the beginning, but I do make a point with every single new student, I do a half hour introduction where I, I sort of expect or imply that the parents and the child should be there. So right at the beginning, I do at least meet them, but then I'll often not see them again. Okay, so tell us why do you do that? The introduction? Yeah. Uh, because I don't want any misunderstandings down the line and having them there simple things like how do I pay you what do yeah. I do if I want to cancel so it might not be necessarily anything about the child's education but the logistics of it yeah that type of thing yeah absolutely so I was at um curriculum evening last night um and the year four teachers told me all the things that are very important um and and I really felt that they were culture setting they were telling the parents what needed to be said so that they had that side covered so they you know the teacher really clearly and she's very very strict she's notoriously straight she said if there's anything that I do that you don't like contact me directly don't let your child know that you disagree so oh. it was pretty much about creating this um you know uh united front yeah which has its pros and cons um but there's, I'm curious to know what else you cover in that session beyond how to pay me um, that sets up a, a shared understanding. Um, I think a, a lot of it is the technical, because I use two apps where the students need the accounts and they need to know how to access it. And I feel that it's not really fair to do that in a paid hour. So... It, I, I do that in advance. And while I'm doing that, of course, they're waiting for an app to download. So you sit in chatting. I signed up a new student last night and there's a budgie in a cage behind her. So it's saying, oh, I like the bird you've got in that cage behind you. Or I always try and find something either with this. I did have an embarrassing one a couple of weeks ago where when they came online, I thought the mother was the child because she looks so young. And then I thought that's probably indicative of my age now. <laughs> but I, it, it's just building that, you know, hi, I'm approachable. Don't worry about making mistakes because a lot of them will put wrong passwords in, they'll press the wrong link or they'll make mistakes just setting up an app. 
So it's just that breaking down of barriers right from the start. Bang on. So you're building relationship. Mm-hmm. Ruthie, just to catch you up. Is she all right, Nicolina? Okay, great. Just to catch you up, Claire's just said something that's really, really informative. She said that she had the half hour chat with parents and students before the parents go off and disappear and you never hear from them again. And that's not a build hour. So she uses that to do all the how-tos in terms of payments and procedures, but also downloading the app and accessing the resources. Because in your words, Claire, and I think there's so much integrity here, that's not a teaching hour and you don't really want to be billing it to them for it. It's necessary, but you're not sure that that's billable time. I think that's really interesting. And then the second point about breaking down barriers and being approachable and noticing things in their background that starts to build a rapport so that when they're actually showing up for the first session, you've already got a jumping off point in terms of relationship. Does that resonate with you, Ruthie? Yeah, I mean, I do it when when they sort of suggest we want to go ahead. I've got quite a detailed email that goes out with the Zoom link, all the resources for that month attached and the do's and don'ts, turn up on time, pay on time and all that kind of stuff. And I sort of tend to put it all in writing um, rather than um, going into the detail with it over the, the phone. Um, but as I say, most of them don't want to talk to me, so I don't, I don't tend to get a lot of those connections. We want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, what's your experience? And please don't use me as an example. I'm the exception. Oh, dear. Is my mic Helen, tutors, my... Helen has tutored at least one of mine. I'm sure I've had two of yours. Well, briefly. But can you hear me okay? Because I know I'm out yes. and about. This is the perk of being a tutor. This is much Zoom calls in a coffee shop. Um, uh, so I find it varies from parent to parent, my experience. Um, again, pre-COVID, I would, especially if I was in their home, I would definitely meet the parent and have a conversation. Um, usually on the first session, um, I don't do the half hour before, but I make sure I've had a phone call or an email conversation with them before I start so that they've got the chance to ask any questions uh, in the form where they sign up to work with me, there is a, is there anything else I need to know? Um, So getting their perspective on what I need to know about their child, because they're the experts in their child. And it's particularly for those students that have got additional needs. They know how their child will respond to certain triggers. They'll know how to uh, support their child in what they need to be able to do. Um, The alternative provision ones that aren't in the classroom, for various reasons. Again, the parents have been doing this for so long with their students, with their children. They are the experts, they know. So it's definitely asking them either by email or by phone. I find it very much depends on the situation that the student is in. Um, The parents' availability, there's an element of that. Some of them prefer email because then they're not tied to a phone call, they can reply to it when they're available. yeah, so it's a bit of a, a mixed bag. It's everything. I'm trying to get to a point where I can anticipate the questions that are going to be asked. Mm-hmm. So that reduces that that reduces the time they have to spend asking me the questions, mm-hmm. which isn't because I don't want to spend the time. But if I've got 10 students, I don't want 10 different the questions. I want to be able to answer it once mm-hmm. and to be able to send them to that resource. But uh, yeah, there's an element of being able to talk to them uh, yeah, with them being the experts. So there's, so there's certainly, you know, like Ruthie, you want to take care of all the onboarding material in a more efficient way, whatever, you know, written resource that is. And you'll use mm-hmm. the time to assess, really, 
and to start building your picture of the child. So Ruthie, I'm curious, you know, and, and I think I'm really noticing that both Helen and Claire are speaking about COVID, pre-COVID and post-COVID as two different eras. And it's not just that online became more usual, it's that that changed the behaviors in the relationships between the three parties, the parent, student and child, parent, student and tutor. Um, and I'm also noticing that Elizabeth pointed out that as a primary tutor, um, the relationship is different again. And, and I, of course we know, yeah. of course there's, 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 we get more involved with the parents when we're working with, with younger children. Yeah. So I'm really curious about how do you, you know, Helen uses the phrase that the parent is the expert on the child. And I know that's not just lip service. You really, really mean it. So Ruthie, how do you do without that information, without that handover? Quite easily. I think it's like being back at school, back in the classroom, except it got less. You know, as soon as you start to work, you you speak to them, you ask them how their week's been and all the rest of it. You you soon get to know that child well and what they can do and can't do. The same as, you know, the teachers, we don't meet the parents beforehand. So you just lean into the diagnostic assessment? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't do anything formal nope. um, to, to assess. I usually start with um, creative writing. So I think yeah. that gives you quite a good good idea of where they're at and where their, their literacy is at and everything. But um no, I don't do anything formal like that. But very quickly I think you have a measure of the child, the difficulties, um, their confidence levels, everything else. If that hasn't already been imparted to you, it doesn't take long to to find that out. And then you can go back and ask questions if it's something you notice. Yeah, I agree with you that out. it doesn't take long. I am gonna circle back though at the end. Julie, I really hi Caroline, I'm so happy to see you here. Um, Julie, when you're ready to um, to put your camera on, I want to quote you because you said something in the community about parents that I really want to bring in. Hello, Dolly. Um, but Helen has her hand up like a good girl. And so we must go to her first. Go ahead. Helen has figured out on her phone how to raise her hand. So we'll take that as a today's learning point. That, is that what we were doing there? We just no, wanted... no, no, that's, there wasn't okay, actually a hand up. Um, do you think there's an element of the age of the child being a... Uh, developing students independence that uh, so I work with 14 to 18 year olds they are generally able to speak up for themselves they are generally able to tell me what they need it might need a little bit of coaxing sometimes a little bit of asking sometimes they might not know but they need their parents to advocate for them less with the tutor than a younger child who can't express their needs would well, do in the same way so again it's about trying and we're trying to encourage that to some extent, aren't we? We want these to be functioning adults. They get to 18. They are responsible at that point for their own learning. Hmm. So we um, need to be able to encourage them yeah, to be able to, not that we say we take the parents out because they are still parents. They are still the parental responsibility and it's all that. So they are definitely a key person in the, the triad. Um, but there is a little bit of a less dependency upon them as they get older. Really interesting. Um, Caroline and Julie, just for context, we're talking about the role of parents in the tutoring relationship. Um, and we've come up with themes about pre and post COVID, about the ages of the children and how that affects the amount of communication you have with parents. Ruthie, go ahead. Um, I, I think going on from what um, was just said there, that's a really interesting point, because often as well, when the parents do say what they think their child needs, um, it's usually all the handwriting shocking, the spelling shocking. And when you actually speak to the student and they say, I really struggle with analysing language, 
I'm really rubbish at, you know, bringing in language techniques into my creative writing. They know what's expected of them for, at school and for the, the spec much, much better than their parents do generally, I find. And, yeah, the kids will quite happily open up and just tell you everything they need, whereas the parents, I don't know, it's almost like they've got that primary level um, belief in what they think their child needs. They're not getting the grades at school. They're seeing it on the reports and it's like, oh, the handwriting's shocking. They still can't spell. How much better can their handwriting be? You're not going to get an A. You're not, we're not, we're not going to worry about that, exactly. Can't be more good than that. Yeah, the students that they, I think they, they do have a much better understanding themselves than their parents do about where they are and what they need. Yeah. Okay, Julie, let's pull on that on that thread that you put in the community. I asked, actually, Odette asked the question: Do you speak to parents before you start with a child? And Julie said, "Yes, it's a two-way interview." Discuss. Well, I'd like to say. It's the opportunity for me to identify those parents that we've all had them, that you see the day before you've got a lesson, they kind of, there's a message for you. And you know it's an issue, whether it's you're being told what you need to do, or it's a can we reschedule, or there's always something, right? So it gets to the stage where you're dreading that parent messaging you, right? So the idea is that the interview gives you a chance to kind of get a feeling of whether you and the parent are going to be able to work together. Now, I would love to be able to say that in the past, I've seen those flags and I've gone, do you know what? I'm not the right fit. I'm not, I'm too much of a people pleaser and I take them on and they're not a right fit and it doesn't last very long. But the interview does give you the chance to, to interview the parent. We don't like all the parents we work with. And we keep saying, like, this is our business. We don't have to work with everyone. I just need to get a little bit more ballsy and go, no, sorry. Yeah, that's I what can't, I can't do it yet. I'm getting that's there. That's what we learned in Risha's session yesterday, right? She said, my business, my rules. Yeah, so the interview is the opportunity to figure that out. Like I say, I just haven't too much of a people pleaser. I look forward to circling back at the end of this year and seeing whether or not that's changed. Because I feel like... Um, you know, people pleasing and confidence go hand in hand. And as you build your confidence in your language for yes, this, no, that, then you, it's not about people pleasing. It's just about these are my boundaries. Um, Caroline, I'd love to hear your insight as a parental engagement support person, usually with a cup of tea and a slice of cake. Um, what would you say about the relationship between tutoring and parenting, tutors and parents? Hello, everybody. It's nice to meet you all. Um, I think it's a really, it's as I was speaking to Julia earlier this week, there is a chasm of lack of, of, of understanding between what parents think um, education is about and what, and in terms of the content particularly, and in the way we, we do it, um, but in our pedagogy, but there is also, uh, in right from primary education, uh, let alone GCSE standard. So if you think back to when you were in school and you had parents evening, the children uh, would, would know what they'd been learning and you'd be talking to the parents about their progress and they'd want, and they'd be looking at their books like they always do. Um, and they'd be making comments with their children and say, well, your handwriting's neat. Uh, because that is about the level that 
parents understand um and that's kind of where where my work comes in um uh, so i'm working in a slightly different slant to to yourselves in so much as i'm actually working with the parents rather than working with the children um to help them understand that more because they just can't engage um and it may well be that a lot of the barriers and things that yourselves come up with against with parents and messages and parents attitudes towards yourselves when you're working and ourselves sorry um is that basically because they just don't understand they don't know um and and so a lot of those attitudes come through that lack of confidence and lack of knowledge themselves um, yeah, I, I so think it's I so guess... interesting. You know, Lucy and I um, spoke years and years ago about the fact that we 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 forget how important it is that the parents went through school too. That the parents were mm. educated in the same. They they were educated to be afraid of teachers and feel that chasm as children. And and when they show up as parents, they're still in that mindset. You know, my. Uh, uh, eight-year-old now um, freaked out this morning and she's wonderful at school and the teachers love her but her water bottle leaked on her school bag and she's oh. I'm not going because of all the new school books that have just been drenched she said I'm not going into school I can't oh, no. because because the pressure you know she, the teacher told her to respect her her, her workbooks and, oh. and 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 she didn't understand where on the level of priorities that sits and the fact that the teacher will help her with her workbooks and 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 only because I have that you know both sides of the school gates view am I able to say it's okay she will help you she respect your stuff she doesn't want you to hide at home because because something happened because of a mistake or an accident Claire go ahead um, I've also found the hands up button well done and <laughs> um, yeah I was Thinking of um, uh, an awkward situation I had. Now, I have no problem with parents sitting in, but as we've said, it doesn't happen. But I did have one, it's online, year five, year six sort of age. And um, the parent answering the questions. Um, so I, I almost remember it from the beginning of teacher training where you're told you ask a student a question and sometimes there's almost like an awkward silence, but you've got to give them the space to think. Um, and so over time, I think as a teacher, you start doing that naturally and you're not worried about giving time for thinking. And I had a parent sitting in and a simple sort of question of what's one plus two and the parent would be sitting there going, it begins with a th, it begins with a th. And I actually had to have a conversation afterwards with the parent and say, I, I'm happy that you're sitting in, that's absolutely fine, but you mustn't give the student the answer. And you've got to structure it in the sense of, if I start at one and I need to add on two, what do I do? Not just give them the answer because they've got to understand the structure behind a question. And that was a really awkward conversation, but the parent took it all on board really well. Oh my gosh, good for you. I'm so glad that that was a happy ending because I hear that it was an awkward conversation because you're not there to correct the parent. You're not there to... Um, yeah. I love that you didn't just say to the parent leave the child alone, I'll take care of it. 
Yeah. You said, if you want to help, this is the way to help. And building that relationship of, you know, wherever they're coming from, helping them to to align is is really complex. Julie, what were your thoughts? As I say, that's the kind of thing that you pick up in an interview, because you're my interviews are not just with the parent, they're the parent and the student. And so some of those questions are directed straight to the student. So what do you do apart from school? What are your hobbies? What do you like to do in your spare time? What are you planning to do? I'm GCSE tutor. So what are you planning to do after your GCSEs? And you would get that. You do see where the parent is like, well, go on, answer her then. Or he likes to play with the dog. Okay, so you're already getting an idea of what that relationship's going to be like. Yes. Um, you're right. You don't just kind of tell the parent, shut up and back off. But no. you find a way to say it nicely, don't you? Like, well, actually, what I'm looking for is what I want to see is. Um, and within kind of like that context of and when I'm talking to parents, I don't call it an interview. It's an informal chat to see how we all get on and to set our expectations. And yeah, um, but you get the chance to kind of speak to the parent and figure out how they're gonna how they're gonna sit with you and how you're gonna work together. How you're going to work together is, I think, the key phrase there. Yeah. And what we're finding is, you know, really extreme edges of that. Lucy, I do want to call on you because. Um, there's lots of different relationships that you have managed with parents in your past, in your in your experience. I'm interested in the residential context of working with parents and also in the alternative provision context of working with parents. Could you share with us some of those insights, please? Yeah, I mean, it's very different, first of all, the 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 residential to the alternative provision but I mean from a residential point I think I just echo what everyone says you know your way of doing things and um, making sure that they're really clearly communicated um, in your um, contract that you send to to sign with them um, I see so many people with very vague residential contracts and then they wonder why they got there and the room they were going to stay in wasn't as nice as they thought it was going to be or like you know they suddenly they got there and the family were expecting them to have sessions in the hotel room and they were like no I need my personal space well unless it's written really clearly in the contract you can't assume anything so you have to be really really clear um and then I guess with alternative provision um it's the total opposite in a way because sometimes we're like from an agency point of view um we're often mending but like burnt bridges between schools and 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 the the families so initially we're like trying to show the parent that it's a positive thing that the school are getting this support for them but because it's come from the school sometimes they're a bit worried about it initially so we've got to sort of go in there sort of and quite quickly establish that trust and rapport that we need to get um you know for, for the parent to feel comfortable with us sending an educator into their family home or sending an educator to the school or wherever it might be like lo local libraries or whatever and um 
but then we've got to really clearly communicate and sort of say that you know the sessions that are going to happen are being paid for by the school so it's you know it it can be seen as a really positive thing to building those bridges and mending some of that um that that broken communication between the school but we have to be very careful never to talk negatively about the school as well because they're the person that has got this place uh you know this this sort of work um and and provision supported so yeah it's a a balance yeah and just understanding the intention everyone's intention is the same right so um you know whether you go on a residential or whether you're a a single tutor supporting a, 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 a you know a maths GCSE pupil everyone's intention for your time and the student's time is progress right so actually when you boil it down to just really the simple facts it doesn't actually matter whether we're working with an ultra high net worth family or we're working in a you know a, a really difficult situation in a school um you know the the, the sort of matching of an educator and a learner together is one of progress it's not necessarily one of academic progress or social progress or whatever but it's progress of something we don't want them to go backwards you know um so we if you actually just boil it down to that when people start showing their frustrations oh but this has happened this has happened but actually when you boil it down to Mm -hmm. I understand that that has happened before but right now my aim is that this match or this you know provision is going to we're going to see progress because that's what you want that's what the school want that's what we want you know um and then you find that common ground um that that everyone wants to work towards you know I think what's lovely about um defining progress is um, when you get it, when, when you can work towards a shared understanding of what progress would look like for this child in their specific context, and then everybody be on the same page moving towards that, and go way beyond um, learning outcomes. Um, and then the spillover effect could be learning outcomes. Go ahead, Lucy. I was going to say that actually, um, it sounds a little bit harsh, but I probably wouldn't put it like this to a parent, but I don't actually care what they want as the progress for the student. I actually want the student to feel that they've made progress because actually if someone says oh you've made progress but you don't feel you have it means nothing you know yeah is that different in the different relationships though so again we were looking at two extreme relationships there the residential tutoring on one side and where you are very much the employee of parents and uh, the student I... is the beneficiary of your so... support I would disagree with that. That might be because I have a different take on residential tutoring. And also, I think when you go in as a, as a really experienced residential tutor, you go in on a different level to say someone who would start off doing residential tutoring definitely thinks of themselves as an employee of. But I don't think of it like that at all. I think of people who I have me as their residential tutor, like I'm helping them, you know, like they are yeah 100% I, I don't think whether you're doing whatever type of tutoring you're doing you should think of yourself as a consultant you know I say that to all the guys in the office as well you know like consultants are the ones who you know you're not doing someone a favor being there tutoring their child um they have gone into a contractual relationship yeah. with you they want you for this price to work with their child and it doesn't actually matter as long as for me, yes, you might get the odd helicopter parent who doesn't think their child has made as much progress as they want. But I very clearly had conversations where I mean, I've done a lesson where at the end, the parent was like, 
Um, I was like, you know, I think they really enjoyed it. You know, speak with them. Let me know what they, you know, what they thought. If you need me to tweak anything or change it, and she's like, well, I'm actually a bit worried. And I was like, mm-hmm. so I'm not actually that bothered about that. But what are you worried about? Like, how can I help you? And she was like, well, I think she had too much fun. And I, was like, <laughs> I literally was like, in that case, I am probably not the right educator for you. And I'm going to just like oh, no. let you think about that. Um, and she actually came back and she was like, I actually am so embarrassed that I said that. And I was like, it's fine. Like, you know, because that's your experience. That's your cultural experience of what a tutor is as well, because they're from a different background. Um, and, you know, that's fine, you know, but that's not how I work. So if you want me to change how I work, you will find another tutor. I think you know, what's really interesting simple. about that is is this thing that um, I've often had in mind that do parents have eyes for tutoring? So we, we, we discussed the idea of parents looking at school books and, you know, looking at handwriting and not understanding what the, the learning objectives were of the lesson, whether it's primary or, as Ruthie was saying, what are you really struggling with? The student has a better handle on what they're struggling with. Um, just, do parents have eyes for learning? And if they don't, do you need to help them have eyes for learning? Or, like Lucy says, are you the consultant and they should give you the space and the trust to help you to deliver what's needed for the child? Caroline, I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's a tricky one because, uh, but but ultimately, if the parent is engaged and understands what it is you're trying to do, bearing in mind that they haven't had educational training, unless they happen to be a teacher themselves, the only education um, background that they have is their own. But the more that they do understand, the more that you can involve them in the process, surely the more impact it's going to have in terms of the work that you're doing and the progress that that child, uh, their child is going to be making. So obviously you can't reteach the whole session with them or you can't pre-teach the parents and then teach the children the ch- whatever it is your content is. You can't do that. However, there must be kind of... Um, way that you can you can sort of help them to access what education's about these days and uh how we do things and and some of those key concepts because if the child i, I mean you know my children are 20 20 and 25 so they're long since through the system but um and it was very rare that they asked me for any help with their gcses or a levels or anything but certainly when they were younger um and because I have an educational background, it was it was easy for me to be able to help them and sit and prioritise and work out what bits mattered and what bits we could just, you know, come back to and drip, just drip, drip. But parents don't have that um, because they haven't had that experience in the same way. So I think it's it is a bit of a fine balance and you can't do everything. But as much as we can, we need to help them understand what it is we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it, I think. And I think there's also what we're pointing to is, you know, depending on the background, the expectation and the understanding of the parents, there'll be different relationships that are better suited to them, better tutors that are better suited to the needs of the parents as well as the needs of the children. I think it's important to, to, to bring them back into the picture and then understand what their right place is in, in this ecosystem around the child. Helen, what are your thoughts? I was going to say that most of mine have a massive sigh of relief when I get on board, just I'm maths and I can see even in tutors' faces when I say I teach GCSE maths the look of horror 
that why on earth would I want to do that, let alone from a parent? And we teach it very differently now to how we taught it when I came through, let alone when they came through. Um, so, yes, it's really important to include them. But you, yeah, so you're going to get the parents, even the educationally background ones, they know that they can't help their student, their child in that way. So there's a relief when they find the right tutor to fit that there is somebody to help. There's somebody to help that, like you would if there was a medical issue. You're relieved when it's diagnosed and you're relieved when you've got the right doctor to fix the problem that you can work with. I mean, different, but similar. That we are, we are the experts and in our subject and there is a relief of fine from parents when they go okay they're finally getting it they're going to get their four in their GCSEs and go on to do whatever it is they want to do they're actually engaging in learning for some of them it's they're actually coming downstairs they're getting dressed well they might not be dressed but they're coming downstairs um there's a relief that somebody's listening to them and understanding that they are seeing this problem in their student um in sorry in our student in their child um but yeah it's just such a sigh of yeah, I, I could see it. Sigh of relief that there's somebody there that's listening, somebody there that can help. I felt um, that even before. If they don't. I'm, oh, I'm glad. I felt that before. Actually, it wasn't you. It was before your time. Oh, shucks. My eldest, my eldest was struggling at school and being failed by the school. Oh, and, no. Um, and COVID hit and I brought him an online tutor for all the science subjects and it was a massive investment but firstly during lockdown I knew that he was speaking to one trustful trustworthy adult a day and so our relationship had broken down my teenager and I at that time but I knew that there was one person who was having an hour's worth of back and forth with him and would let me know if there was anything concerning. I also knew that for all the adults that had failed him in his life in the past year or so, this tutor was not failing him. And I had done the right thing by bringing him. And so there was a level of repair that was happening in our relationship and relief, as you say, Helen, simply by knowing that I brought the right intervention to help him at that time. And I was really, really proud that I was able to do that. Um, it wasn't me that was sitting with him. But finding that person who was able to help my son meant a great deal to our relationship at that time. Claire, what are your thoughts? Um, it's just reiterating what Helen was saying about um, literally on Tuesday, I'm saying, so I'm a maths tutor as well. And I realised that if you're not in the maths sphere, this probably means nothing to you. But I'm saying to a parent, um, the year 11 student just started year 11 we did solving quadratics with completing the square and the parents going oh yeah and I'm thinking you don't know what I'm talking about do you <laughs> but she's I'm just doing that <laughs> yeah well exactly Helen will know exactly what I'm talking about but it's that um you're right about having the expert and almost showing off that you are that expert as well so that the parents have that confidence in you. Ah, oh, so let's delve back to confidence for a second because I've got two things written down here, which you both, you've just alluded to both. I've got methods, so that thing of, don't, don't teach them your old methods, we teach them a new method nowadays, you'll just confuse them. That method will break eventually, all of those things, which, sure. um, which really do rupture that relationship because, it's very much putting the parent back into the corner then, isn't it? Like, no, no, that, that 
that's that's for them. This is not. But then this thing about AP. So and I don't think it's just limited to AP, as you said, Julie, in the chat. The relationship and the buy-in. So Claire, you mentioned before COVID, you'd go to students' houses, and I think you were working for Nudge at that time. Is that right? Sorry, what was that? Broke up. Was that were those Nudge families that you were going to? The Nudge. Um, no, actually, I only I started with Nudge in February twenty twenty. My mistake. So I literally went out for a Nudge client for four sessions, so I don't have right because there's a certain going out. There's another layer of relationship there, isn't there, where the the alternative provision, building the relationship with the parents to create buy-in when it wasn't the parents that brought the child in, as Lucy was saying, where it's, it's the school that's nominating the child. So that thing about um, creating buy-in with the parents to support the child and whether or not this conversation about methods, what are your thoughts on those two things? Yeah, go ahead, Helen. Thanks. So when it comes to methods, I think it's it's okay to tell the parents, and um, it's it's okay that we don't do it that way anymore. It's it's not dismissing what they did, but I think there's an acknowledgement that that it's okay that they don't understand. It's not that they're sick. It's not that it's just that we teach it in a different way. Completing the square headache topic for most students. I now teach it using algebra tiles. I learned it using just by learning it by rote. Just because that way students uh, know you sat there because I, I did this with, with one of yours. I did complete in the square and we actually got the tiles to, to show how it works. And yes, it, we don't want to put them back in the corner, but I think we are the experts and they need to not back off in terms of that. We know what we're doing. We know what we're talking about. Watch, see, look at the notes. But most of them are coming to us because what is happening isn't working. The, the learning that students getting isn't working for whatever reason. They're not engaging. They need a new method. They need something else. Ah, ah, Come and find a tutor. Ah, so you could pr present it as a new method rather than a better method or a more current method. Yeah. It, you might find this easier. And I say that sometimes because it's... Yeah. Um, there are definitely... Sorry, there's a screaming child in my background. <laughs> but, um, and it's, especially with maths, there are lots of different ways to teach things, lots of different approaches. And schools will do the broad sweep in a classroom. They will teach it the way that most students get it. But you're going to get kids in a classroom that don't get it. And then that's where the tuition comes in. Okay, let's try that method. Let's try this method the school's done. Because yeah. if you can get it that way, then that's going to help you in school. But if you can't, okay, let's try this method or that right. method. And we'll take whichever method it takes to get you to, to get it. And that's um, your expertise, that you've got more method in your, in your toolbox and more time to explore more methods. Dr. Tejas, welcome. Um, uh, please unmute yourself. Tell me how to pronounce your name. Yep, you're right, Tejas. Fantastic. Right. Thank so you. So what are your, you're, you're nodding your head as, as Helen was speaking just there. Please tell us your experience. Yes, but with completing the square, by the way, I also teach maths. And with completing the square, if you bring new methods, some of my students feel that this is not the right way because my school teacher is teaching me this particular way and because you are not doing this way you are not a good tutor something like that and they tell their parents that this tutor is not good because he is showing me a different way which is not right or which is not good not easy my school teacher is perfect because this is a private tutor and he's not doing this particular way 
So finally, I decided to just go with the method because we know all the methods. So we just said, okay, which method your school teacher is teaching? Uh -huh. And I'm happy to go with that method uh -huh. rather than going in confrontation. I definitely start with the method the school's teaching. I'm so sorry. I definitely sorry. start with... Yeah, with me. No, sorry, no. I'm just going to respond to that. I definitely start with the method the school's teaching because that's where to go. But if, if they're not understanding it, then... I'm, I try to be very clear. It's not that the school is teaching it wrong. It's not that the school is teaching it incorrectly or badly. It's not any of those things. That just that this might be another way to look at it. So yeah, completing the square back to the example it's quadratic. You can teach it just step by step. This is what's happening. But if you can show them how it works conceptually with those, well, this is why I do it with the tiles. They can actually picture what's going on, so then they can get to the way the school is teaching it. It might just take a bit of a wiggle. I can understand that. Yeah, students can go back and say it's not the way the school's teaching it but if you can it's phrasing it that it's not that the school is wrong but we're not you're not understanding the way the school's doing it let's see if we can come at it with a different way to help you understand the way the school is doing it this is that... turning into a, a bit of a maths thing but um... we are at a loss here aren't we <laughs> well i i was just thinking there, one of the things that I've found has happened to me as a tutor, because you're working with many students from different schools, I'm also learning different methods from students. When they start doing a piece of maths, and I'm thinking, I don't know what you're doing here, I don't know where you're going with this, I never actually stop the student, and I'll say to them, I've not seen this method before, but carry on, and we'll see if you get the same answer as me, and we'll look at this. So it's almost approaching it again as not saying that method's wrong, that method's new, that's different. Uh, that method is different. I've not seen it. Let's look at it. Let's investigate it. And it gives it a much more positive vibe than that is a wrong way to do it. What a lovely thing. Um, you know, when Dr. Tejas just used the phrase confrontation, I found that a bit of a you know, red flag, right? You always want to be avoiding confrontation. And so Claire's approach of, oh, you show me how you've done it and I'll show you, and, and we'll compare methods and explore them together is a mindset of curiosity and growth mindset. And that's always gonna be interesting. But of course, now we've got down to the relationship to the conversation between the child and the tutor. But really I wanted to bring in that extra element and Spoiler, next week we're going to talk about the relationship between tutors and schools. So, um, Caroline, let's just wrap up with some parental engagement guidance here. What would you say um, could be some key tips about how to educate parents on how to work with tutors? I, I guess it comes down to some of the things that you might discuss when you have those initial interviews and working out, you know, who who people want to work with and who's a good fit and talk to talk about just some of some of the ways um, that we do things when we're educating, not training. We are engaging in curiosity and talk and thinking through and questioning. And that that might feel a little bit different or even a little bit difficult for parents. Um, but that, that's that's good and that's learning, too, because actually we want our parents to feel that it's OK for them to learn and that they're lifelong learners, too. And and even if it's only a little bit that they understand about what their children are doing, they can at least like you said earlier, Julia, they can at least engage with their child about 
what that content was a little bit and have that conversation. Whereas previously they might have felt that they couldn't, it's just a barrier. I'll just have to get somebody else to do it. And that's the end of that. Um, so there, it, it's all, it's about developing those relationships with their children and their children as learners, but as themselves as learners. So it's nice to sort of talk about and say, well, think about what you might learn as mom or dad or carer uh, whilst your child is working with us. And that that's okay, I guess. We're, we're working in a much more open-minded way these days, aren't we? And like you well, said, that we're not aiming to be frightened of people. We're aiming to help people uh, and work together. And also to assert our expertise by being open and curious ourselves and not pretending that we yeah. have the answers. But I... Definitely. I, Helen, go ahead. Is that a hand? Yeah, it was kind of just going to show who we are from the start. So no. my marketing shows that I'm a little bit nutty. I'm a little bit of a fruitcake. I'm a little bit quirky. Quirky was definitely a word that came up. Um, but that means that they can feel I can relate to me, that I'm not like in a classroom. So they already know who I am before they come and employ me. Okay. And I say employ. I have, they I have, to, we have to finish. We have to finish on time. Ooh, and I, I want to pull full circle because I started off by saying, is it possible to work with a child when never meeting the parents. And we've spoken about how norms have changed before and after COVID, online and in person. We've spoken about different relationships, um, residential, private tuition, AP. We've not yet spoken about the National Tutoring Programme, but there's an entire range of delivery models happening here and different relationships, different parents and their expectations. Dr. Teha spoke about, you know, a, a relationship where the child will say, I don't trust the tutor because he doesn't align with the school which is really interesting in terms of how you prove your trustworthiness. Um, there's a tongue going on here, but I agree that openness in whatever form it takes, curiosity, and that sort of respect that you show the parents of, you may not be an expert in English literature, GCSE, you jolly well know your child and I want to learn about that. I think um, as with all things in tutoring, it comes down to trust, and it comes down to relationship. And the more that we can find ways to build those trustful relationships student, with, student, with parents in a way that doesn't kill our work-life balance and respects our own boundaries is, is, what, we want to, is what, what we want to get to here. I just want to share with you, in addition to being uh, inspired about this conversation because of what Risha said this week and because of bringing Caroline into the community this week, I um, have also been thinking about parents because we're running Parents Open Days this year. And that feels like a massive step forward for qualified tutors to be able to teach parents to look for qualified tutors as yeah. a mark of excellence. Um, and so these parent open days that we're gonna be running are, they're sort of like the education equivalent of speed dating, where they're free meetings for parents oh. and QT members to join. And you will sit wow. in a breakout room with a little description of who you are and what you provide. Wow, that's cool. Be able to come in, thanks Elizabeth. Parents will be able to come in and chat with you. So it will be a meet the tutor conversation with just this opportunity for you to set out your own expectations, what you provide, what parents can expect from you, for them to see whether or not it's a good match, and and hopefully to get some new business in a really sort of uncomplicated and you know good return on investment way. Does that that sound like something that you might be interested in joining, signing up for? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. If you have 
Uh, if you go to the QT website, you can find parent open days there. I'm actually going to just drop you the link like a organizing capable person. Um, doing my best, guys, just doing my best. Here you go. So this is an event right page. And when the parents sign up, we will be asking them what they're looking for. So you ideally will have access to that information already. Please do, if you're able to, book into all six sessions over the year so that you can build them into your schedule going forward. Um, and we'll see if we could really create some awareness of what horse and tutors look and sound like. Thank you for your time today. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a great weekend, a restful weekend. Tomorrow, 11 a.m. is demo day for Lesson Space. So if you want to come and check out another online platform, that's well worth your time. Thank you so much, Ruthie. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks, Julie. Dr. Tejas, please stay on because we wanted to chat. Thanks, Elizabeth. Have a great weekend. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.